I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to The Splash. I'm John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, and our special guest is the Giants' popular PA announcer, Rennell Brooks-Moon. Hope you enjoyed part one of our conversation. Here in part two, we discuss baseball's issues with diversity and hiring practices and the commitment to the Black Lives Matter movement, and also some cool stories about her folks and Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. We pick up with Rennell addressing the powerful pregame video that included Rennell and was shown at every home game. We worked so hard um, to um, for the home opener and to set the right tone for our pregame ceremony. And I was really happy that they asked for my input, SFG Productions and our entertainment department asked for my input in the pregame ceremony and, and uh, doing that powerful video, the time is now video, which I don't think any other team in Major League Baseball made a video like we did in-house. Um, and I was really proud to, to have Gabe and Farhan and the guys take part in that. So, you know, the beginning of this, it, it was such an emotional start to this season in so many ways, but I just could, could not have been prouder of my guys. How did that video evolve? Because for I mean, fans might not realize this, but it is played before every game. It's about a minute long. And it's your voice, it's Farhan Zaidi's voice, it's Gabe Kapler's voice, it's Jalen Davis's voice, it's Mike Yastrzemski's voice, and it's about uh, diversity and the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement and um, the, 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 the message is join us. And your voice, fittingly, is the last voice. In your last words, join us. Um, and I wish fans could have seen it every day because it was just like the few of us in the ballpark. And it's, you can see it online. It's probably on YouTube or giants.com, wherever. But I imagine next year, uh, it, it, you know, it'd be nice if it, if it were there, if fans were there. But it would have been nice if people could have seen that every day. Yeah, I agree. And they, they were able to see it for, for the home opener. Um, but I have to give all the credit to our wonderful, our wonderful team at SFG Productions um, and Honestly, John, they were working, special shout out to Kelsey Rothhouse and, and Iman Rodney, who, um, who had the, the vision and we had several meetings on it. But I mean, they were working on that right to the 11th hour, the day before um, the home opener to make sure that, that the tone was correct. Um, they spoke with our Black Employees Resource Group um, to get our feedback. Um, so a lot of people had a lot of input, but that SFG Productions crew really, they get all the credit for, for pulling it together. In fact, the night before they, were, they made some really quick edits because they spoke with one of our members of our Black Employees Resource Group who had some additional feedback. And that it was a really, it was an emotional project, John, but it was also a labor of love. I can't tell you how many, you know, Zoom meetings I had <clears throat> after, um, 
George Floyd's murder and um, with staff and with management and with executives, um, uh, including Larry Bear, um, you know, assuring me that, that they support the Black Lives Matter movement and that it was not just like a one game thing, that it was, it was going to be a season long and a full time commitment, which I really, really appreciated. Well, um, you, you had mentioned uh, no African-American coaches and Jalen Davis was really the only African-American player and he was gone yeah. after just a few games. And yeah. you said you've spoken out on, feel free to speak out now because uh, even, you know, whether you might not be comfortable, but the fact is there 13 coaches, um, yeah. no African-Americans, there weren't any African-Americans for most of the season on the, the, the roster. If you look in the front office, you don't see the faces in the media guide that maybe ought to be there. Um, uh, that um, I, 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 you know, might be an issue. And um, you know, the Giants—it's—it's your—they're your employers. But at the same time, uh, we look around baseball, and eight percent of the players are African Americans. And you and I grew up at a time where there was probably 25% and it was, it was normal. And the numbers, uh, you know, uh, I've written a bunch about this and spoke with everyone from Dusty Baker to the, the great Monty Irvin and over yeah. in Major League Baseball, Tyrone Brooks and Tony Regans and Richard Lapchick over at the University of Central Florida, the, his Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport. And everyone has theories, but there's not a whole lot of movement. But the, I, I ask about the Giants in particular, and maybe baseball in general. Yeah, it's something that it, it really, 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 really breaks my heart. Um, you know, I I understand on on the one hand that you know it's 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 tough it's tough to get young black kids interested in baseball now. It's just not a sexy sport when you compare it to you know football and basketball sports that they can actually see themselves really, you know, being successful in, you know, baseball is a, it's a, you know, it's an expensive sport to play and travel games and everything. I, I mean, I totally, I totally get that. And I would definitely, I know baseball is, you know, Major League Baseball has tried in the 21 years I've been there to, to get, to get black kids more interested and more engaged. Um, so I know we do have, have that problem, but in terms of front office hirings, that's a whole separate conversation, you know, front office hirings, coaches. Um, and that's something that I have spoken out about, you know, since I've been there in 2000 and had a really um, in-depth conversation with, with Larry Bear about that when we had our, our Zoom calls before the season and how do we approach the season with Black Lives Matter and what's my experience been like with the Giants for, for 21 years. And, um, um, so I, I made it, you know, I've made it known that, you know, this is San Francisco, you know, are and not not just for African Americans, but we really need to have more diversity in in so many ways in the front office. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been a hard line for me to walk, John, because, you know, I I I work for MLB, I work for the Giants, but I'm also a black woman, and I, mm -hmm. you know, I also am, you know, a spokesperson for the, my community. I'm a community activist, so it's been a fine line to walk, but. One thing I've done throughout my career, sometimes, you know, to the to the detriment of my reputation is, you know, I, I'm going to speak out and I always do it respectfully and professionally. But that's, you know, I'm always 
looked at differently, starting with the radio. I, you know, the things that I say that my male counterparts would say or ask for, I'm looked at as different. You know, there's that whole angry black woman thing. Even though I, I work my butt off, I work my tail off, I treat everyone the way I want to be treated. I treat everybody with respect. I mean, I had I was in contract negotiations earlier this year, and quite frankly, I would have wished they would have gone a little smoother than they did, having been there for 20 years. But you know, um, I've I've had to fight. I've had I've, I've I have to fight my way through a lot of things. And when I fight for myself, I'm fighting for others. I'm fighting for those that are going to come after me. You know what I mean? So it's been, uh, it's been a tough position for me to be in this year in particular, but this is the year that we are all having uncomfortable conversations. And the Giants have just given me the freedom to, to speak out and say what I need to say. And, um, you know, I think uh, when I ended one of my conversations with Larry, you know, I thanked him for the conversation. And, uh, you know, he says, this is a safe space for you to say whatever you want to say. And I said, you know, with all due respect, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be watching. I got to hold you guys accountable. Mm-hmm. Gotta hold you guys accountable. You know, the other thing too, John, I, as much as I love Tony La Russa, my baseball career actually began with the Oakland A's. I don't know if you know that, my sports career. But as much as I love Tony La Russa, I was really so upset when he got the job with the White Sox. I was like, you have got to, in fact, I think I tweeted out, um, I would like to remind Major League Baseball that we still only have two black managers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I was just, I was like, what is it gonna take there are so many qualified candidates out there of color, black candidates in particular. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Here we go again, with all due respect to Tony La Russa, mm-hmm. but what is it gonna take? What is it gonna take? So it's something that I have really spent, spent a lot of my career, probably like the last 10 years in particular, when I've kind of gotten a little more settled and a little more comfortable, I've gotten to know more people in the front office that I've really been able to speak out a little, a little bit, but I will say, John, this is the first year that I feel like I've really been listened to. Mm. Well, that's, that's good and bad news that you weren't listened to in the past. And it's great news. You finally are. Yeah. And let's, it's still an old boys club. Let's face it. That's still there. Same thing in my radio career. Um, But I really felt this year that I'm being seen and I'm being heard. We'll be back with more of Rennell Brooks moon right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm guessing that a lot of these, maybe un, like you said, uncomfortable conversations, the fight uh, uh, might have stemmed from your childhood and your parents because they they were both, like you said, administrators and educators, Nathaniel and Juanita. Yeah. Um, your dad, the first African-American principal at a San Francisco high school. Um, yeah. What, what did they instill in you to, to give you the strength to do what you've done in your life and and I mean, does it also include your your grandfather who closely followed the Negro Leagues, which you mentioned? And I don't know if I'm leaving out your brother, Nathaniel Jr. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my brother, um, 
he really wanted to be Sandy Koufax, but I said, I can't tell that story. You, I have to say you wanted to be Juan Marichal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he was a right-hander. It didn't have anything to do with the Giants. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, my, my brother had, you know, major league dreams. And I mean, as a little girl, my favorite thing to do every summer was to go watch my brother play in his tournaments, you know, down in the Central Valley and in Stockton and everything. John, there's not a summer that I don't remember, probably from the earliest age of four. I remember just being a candlestick all the time with my mom and dad and my big brother. I, I don't I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't a baseball fan. And I'm <laughs> that's just how my family is. Hmm. It's just a huge sports family, but baseball in particular, because of my my grandpa and then my my brother, you know, wanted to play major league baseball. But you know, my parents grew up in the Jim Crow South. And um always instilled in myself and my siblings the importance and the value of education as it being the greatest deterrent to racism and to sexism. And I, my, I just watched, my dad led by example. He never really sat me down and you know, and, and, you know, gave me like, um, you know, a, a talk on, you know, what, what you, what you do when you accomplish this, what happens when you get bigger. I just watched him be such a fighter in my neighborhood for particularly for at-risk kids. Um, it was so important because my parents fought for their education. You know, there are just horrible stories of, of, you know, you know, them trying to get their education as little kids in the Jim Crow South, you know, trying to catch trying to get on the bus and sit to the back of the bus and the bus takes off. You know, my parents fought for their education and that's why it was my dad's calling to fight for other kids' education as well, particularly those that didn't have access to a good education. So I just watched my dad be such an engaged educator and administrator and community activist. I watched I, he, you know, he was in, he was in Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. I watched all of his community work and I understood by watching him and my mom, I understood what, what I needed to do and what was expected of me. And then I, and then as I got more successful and had more conversations with my folks and um, just, and then I, I've gotten to this high profile career and realized the impact that that could have. And it's been very interesting, John, how my, my voice, how I've been able to use my voice for entertainment, but, but more importantly, um, for, the, for the greater good and for the good fight. I just watched my folks do that. There were always meetings to attend and speeches to give and rallies and you know, parent-teacher conferences. And you know, my dad would just go out of his way to go to students' homes and really get in there and work with the parents and everything it was so important to him. And, you can probably tell that he's totally my hero and I have his face and I have his voice and everything that I've grown up to do for a living is everything that I loved doing with my dad when I was a little girl. You know, on the radio, I got to play all the songs that we loved listening to on the radio when I was little and watching the Ed Sullivan show on his lap. You know, I got to, I got to do my own Ed Sullivan variety show on the radio, you know, and, and going to sporting events and, and then I get a sports career. So everything that I'm doing is everything that I enjoyed with my dad who just really led by example. And, um, and then when I lost him in 03, John, that 2003, that's when I, I really kind of stepped it up. I was like, it's, I really gotta, I have got to honor my dad's legacy in every way I, I possibly can every day 
I'm on a stage or on a microphone or in front of a camera. It's just who he was. And I've just always wanted to be just like him. Well, it sounds like you're doing exactly that. And I'm sure the pride factor would be through the roof, but uh, thank you. But th this is uh, amazing stuff and uh, incredible uh, conversation. And Rinell, I can't thank you enough. Um, you're always, you know, the voice of reason, your, your voice uh, counts. It always did. And it, Thank you. I don't think it's counted more, uh, you know, any time before than 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 right now. Um, but yeah, I thank you for the, you know, time and the work and all you've done. And I imagine countless giant fans and folks around the bay and beyond would would say the same. Thank you so much. I just want to say that the the fans, um, I'm getting teary again. They have just really embraced me over the years and. They've been so incredibly supportive this year on social media because, you know, I've, it's 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 been a hard year <laughs> for all of us. But um, they've been so incredibly supportive, and and um, I was able to do two things this season, John, that I like to share that mm -hmm. um, I I that really meant a lot to me. And one was that I I was um, really honored to have my own celebrity cutout section and. Uh, and I was able to uh, choose my charity because, uh, you know, the proceeds, some of the proceeds from the cutouts went to the different charities that the celebrities were attached to. So I was very, very pleased in all that we're going through this year to be able to raise money for the Equal Justice Society with whom I've worked with for a number of years. And then uh, um, I was called upon to be the ambassador for the giant race this year. I didn't see that one coming at all. Mm -hmm. And I was able to choose another charity that's near and dear to me, uh, and that's the Bayview Hunters Point YMCA, because um, I, I never want the Bayview community to be to be forgotten. Anytime I can, you know, um, shed a light on them and help them out in any way, since they're right down the street from the ballpark, you know, that's a real priority of mine, and that's something that I've been reminding the Giants about uh, this year as well. I need I need to see more outreach. I'm I'm always there. My husband and I don't live too far. I've been working with that community since uh, my radio career and just reminded the Giants, I need, I need more outreach down there. I need to see more players down there. I just need to see more volunteering from the front office. So I was able in this horrible, horrible year to do two amazing things through the Giants for two charities that are so near and dear to me. And that, that was a real bonus this year. So I was really, really grateful. And I was the giant race bobblehead. One of my one of my Twitter followers said, "This is the only Giants bobblehead that was released this year." I never thought of that. It was just me. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I I now have two bobbleheads, which is a mind blower. In two thousand eight, I was the African American Heritage Night giveaway bobblehead, and then now this year for for the Giant Race. So both incredible honors. I tell you, John, this this job has afforded me so many wonderful opportunities that I could have never imagined, and being able to meet so many of my favorite players from back in the day and announcers and to be able to have relationships with them. Oh, we haven't even talked about my, my relationships with the Willies, which I still can't believe that that happened, you know? Hey, if you got <laughs> another three or four hours, I'm game, but you probably have things to do. <laughs> and by the way, I never call them Willie. I never, I never, mm. I always called Mr. McCovey, Mr. McCovey. I can, I just can't call them Willie. But when I speak of them and getting to know them, the, my Willies, yeah. Um, you know, going to Candlestick as a little girl to to grow up and and have relationships with with these with these two greats and and Willie is just they're John the both they're they both were so proud of me and they always told me that and that 
I mean, that's all I need. That, I mean, that's just, you know, to see them so proud of me whenever I would show up to host an event or, you know, sing happy birthday to Willie Mays, you know, every year. And, and uh, one night, Mr. McCovey, Estella came into the booth right before um, we started our pregame show. And she says, do you have a minute? Willie wants to ask you something. So I, cause he, he's, he was about two or three suites down from the booth. Sure, right. Yeah, you know where he was for every game. So, um, so I run in there and he goes, Renell, we're getting married and I, I want you to MC the wedding. And I'm trying to be as cool as a cucumber, John, like this thing happens to me every day. I'm, but inside I'm losing it. And I was like, oh, it would be my great honor. Of course, Mr. McCovey. He goes, okay, well, we'll, we'll give you some more details, but I just wanted to, you know, wanted to ask you that. So I go running into the booth and I was like, guess what, everybody? <laughs> like I'm 10 years old, so excited. And I didn't know what that meant. I, did that mean officiate the wedding? Did it yeah. mean be the reception? So it meant emceeing the wedding reception, which I was super honored to do. Um, and the thing about Mr. McCovey, the way we really got to become friends for the first several seasons, John, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to him. I just, I was afraid I was going to say something stupid or I just was nervous. And I would end up on the elevator with him a lot of the time coming up and he'd say, he'd say hi to me. And then he'd say, good show this morning. He listened to my radio show. Wow. <laughs> and so from that moment on, he'd come and he'd say, he'd ask me about a song I played or he'd mention a joke or a story I told. And I was like, you were a little girl at Candlestick watching him play baseball. He listens to your radio show every morning. It just, it just blew my mind. And so then I got a little more comfortable and then he and Estelle and I became, became very good friends. And, and doing a lot of events with Mr. Mays, I mean, it, it's gotten to the point now where sometimes they'll, if they need, needed him for something over the past couple of years, they'd say, well, if you come, if you come, we know he'll come. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> or if you're there, we know he'll be there. I mean, he's just, he's so proud of me and he's always supported me. There was one time in spring, tr spring training, I was doing some interviews um, maybe about three, four years ago. And he was there with his book, signing his book, you know, holding court in the clubhouse. And I went through all the proper channels, you know, we went through Mario Alioto and, you know, PR and everything. Do you think we can get some time with Mr. May since he's here? Went through all the proper channels. Well, John, turns out I didn't need to go through Mario Alioto or anybody. Mr. May said, did you want to talk? Mm. <laughs> He's, and he had an assistant there uh, at the time. And the assistant came over and said, if you want to talk to Willie, he's, he's, he would love to sit down and talk with you. He talked to me for an hour and a half, John. Mm. We interviewed him for an hour and a half. And, and Sarah, one of my mentees, one of the young women that's come up in our department, was our manager of entertainment at the time. It was her 30th birthday. I introduced him. He signed an autograph. And she says, you know, I work with Renelle. She's my mentor. And Mr. May says, well, you couldn't ask for a better teacher. You're in good hands. So I'm like, what is happening to me in my life right now? <laughs> and for them to be proud of me, because John, they could have never imagined someone that looked like me on a PA mic in Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then that's why I have my Negro League figurines with me for every game to, to honor them and to remember on whose shoulders I stand. It's a big, big deal. It's a big deal. Exactly. I mean, Mays came along just four years after Jackie Robinson, but he wasn't in his late 20s like Jackie. Willie yeah. was 20 years old and and, you know, uh, four years after the color barrier was broken and here he is 
patrolling center field at the polo grounds with the yeah. great yeah. legends of the era. Yeah. And he saw it all. And, and same with McCovey, who told me about stories in the minor leagues where it's just despicable stuff. And uh, these gentlemen just emerged as genuine American heroes. And McCovey had every right to complain, you know, with his legs and his knees and the wheelchair. But I never, ever saw him in a bad mood, uh, shedding any negative light, never complaining. Never. Of course, the best of all time and uh, hanging out in the clubhouse with the guys. No other Hall of Famers on any team. And I've been around every clubhouse visits the clubhouse like McCovey and Mays did over the years. And that, wow. that I'm blessed, uh, you know, it's just, a, you know, able to cherish the moments that uh, I was able to just, you know, hang out with them and listen yeah. to the stories. And, uh, and that's something, <laughs> yeah. And I oh, met Buck O'Neill too, John. Oh yeah. Got to meet Buck O'Neill and uh, Ernie Banks when we had the All-Star Game here in 2007, got mm -hmm. to spend a whole day with Ernie Banks. I mean, these are, you know, when I got this job in 2000, I could have never imagined that, you know, Lou Brock would sit with me for two innings when he was at the ballpark, you know, that we met Buck O'Neill at, at, at spring training and that I'd spent a whole day with during the celebrity softball game with, with Ernie Banks while he's coaching one team and, you know, and Frank Robinson and, and mm -hmm. Bob Gibson and being able to, you know, meet all of, you know, my heroes and my icons is just, it's, I feel just, that's why I say I'm just grateful every, every single day. It's really amazing. Monty Urban came back oh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was amazing. Just amazing. Well, good. This is, uh, <laughs> we're going through a history. We're going through the present time and we're, we've, I think, covered the future as well. So all good. Well, thanks again, Rennell. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the time and uh, the thoughtfulness and uh, the honesty. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for, for, uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thanks for joining us on The Splash for this special two-part podcast with Rennell Brooks-Moon. Henry Shulman and I will continue bringing you Giants-focused podcasts through the offseason. Thanks again for listening. The Giants Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support The Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.